Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Greetings to you all in the wonderful, matchless, sweet name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And I also bring greetings on behalf of our church council members and the leaders because we all of us are always concerned about you and we are all praying for you. And we thank God for abundance of his grace, his protection and his provisions for every one of us. And uh, we have to thank God for it in every way. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, just a few things I wanted to mention to you from Psalm 59. Because 58 and 59 are the scripture and according to our schedule to meditate on this day. But in 59... It is a, is a titled as it is a petition for deliverance from the violent men. It is about some the King David chastened by Saul and he sent people to get him and kill him. So in that situation this was his prayer. So when we look at it the whole psalm I am not going to read. When you start with the first one and two, what it says, Deliver me my, from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from the bloodthirsty men. Who is that? That is Saul, King Saul. So when you go on to this scripture, we are many things we understand about it. In the first verse itself, he says, See, deliver me, defend me, and save me. And then he was telling about the enemy, three and four. And uh, four and five says about God, and a description of the enemy in uh, the following verses. In verse eight, he says, what God will do. And particularly 9 and 10, the psalmist King David waits on God. Why and how he waits on God for because of his strength. Strength of God, because uh, he is his defense, because as God of mercy and he shall prevent him, because he shall let him see his desire upon the enemy. So it goes on like that. The particular verse for us is at the end. The purpose of his request is verse 15 of Psalm 59. In that what he says. That they might know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. That is the purpose. Then 16 and 17, what he says, he will sing. As we know that this is the day of worship, our regular worship, there is something for us to know and understand about the worship. Here he says, in all the situation, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. 
for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble to you O Lord O my strength I will sing praises for God is my defense the God of my mercy so I have taken verse 16b as a promise of this week and the reason for how he is saying is 16 and 17 because of your power because of your mercy you have been my defense you have been my refuge in the day of my trouble and you have been my strength this is what he understood about God as all of us know to come to worship we should know who is our God secondly what is our condition our situation we know all about our situation how we are what we are so we have many reasons in this situation to praise and thank and worship God now just I continue with the promise of the week as I said 59b you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble I hope all of us will understand whether we are in trouble or not and what kind of trouble we are but our meditation is our focus is what is defense and what is the meaning of refuge why he says about it Psalm 16 and 17 he says you have been my defense and my and refuge in the day of my trouble to you O oh my Lord you are strength and I sing praises to you dear children of God King David throughout his song describes in great details the awful behavior of his enemies and he knew that King Saul as Sendia murder squared to literally track him and kill him he conveyed his own feelings of anxiety with his fear and depression of that which he sees in the lives of his enemy how delightful then is it to read these last verses about God's role in David's life as a refuge he was David's place of safety and a source of unfailing love he did not allow fear of those who wanted to harm him hold him down but rather he sang of God's power and mercy he sang praises to God for it was God himself who was his unbeatable defense that's what his confession that was his faith David had learned through this by his own faith to turn negative circumstances into reminders of God's faithfulness and presence 
his mercy his love and his protection i encourage you my dear brother and sister whatever severe or depressing circumstances and stresses are you facing in your life today they can be transformed if you simply made them a surprising point for praising god he can like he was for david be your unbeatable defense and your refuge in the day of your trouble all you need to do is believe in him nothing is impossible with our god luke 18:27 says and we know that all things was together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purposes roman 8:28 and that includes the impossible situation you are facing right now blessed is the man who trust in the lord whose hope is the lord all glory to god forever and ever let's pray gracious heavenly father we praise you and thank you for this thing thank you for, for your word thank you for each and every one of us as your children sitting at your feet waiting upon you to speak you to speak to us in this day lord and also thank you for the promise that you gave to us indeed you are our defense and you are our refuge in this critical situation of father wherever we turn in this world we always hear and see and watch the negative things and it is threatening ones of father but lord in god but at the same time as your children we have hope in you we believe in you and in your word because you are the great and you are the mighty god father meet every need of your children even now as we are going to plead before you in this time we also remember children your your children those who are sick let your hand be rest upon them touch them and heal them father we also pray for children those who are waiting upon you for the traveling of father continue to take care of them encourage them and edify them and open the way for them to proceed as you will be as it's your will be done in their life father we also pray for the your children your servant those who are having a trouble in your working place of oh father without you we none of us are here in this land you brought us with a great purpose and plan let your purpose be fulfilled in the name of jesus christ father we also pray for your servant our pastor father as you are with your anointing as you have spoken your word help us to receive your word as you want us to be let your word brings convictions correction edification in our life we thank you my father even in this time we pray for your children those who are celebrating their birthdays and anniversary in this week of oh father father as your scripture says the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace 
Let this be your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you once again for hearing us and answering our prayers. In Jesus' precious name, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. There is just one small announcement I wanted to add now. And as, as all of you know that our victory night is nearing. And from tomorrow onwards, as usual, our fasting is on from Saturday to Monday. And Saturday evening, that is tomorrow, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, we will be having a fasting and prayer. Please join in the fasting prayer in the evening. And continue to fast and see the great thing that God is going to do on Monday. As usual, we will have our victory night service online or in the website you can hear the message. Thank you once again. God bless you. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, Lord Father, on this day when we can come into your presence again, Lord Father. Even though we are in different places, Father God, we know, Lord, that we are together because of you, Lord. And Father God, we ask, Lord, that your continuing presence remain with us at all times, Lord Father. Even now, Lord Father, as we share from your word, Lord Father, as we study your word, Lord Father, we pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us at a time such as this. Father God, we know, Lord, that we are in the palms of your hands. We know, Lord, that our surety, our protection, our preservation comes from you, Lord. And Father God, we know, Lord, that you have great plans and purposes for each and every one of us, Lord. But Father God, we want to grasp from your word, Lord Father. What is it that you have for us, Lord? Father, we surrender ourselves into your hands. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to minister unto us. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing this message, a frightening thought came into my mind as I read three verses of scripture. I was reading Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 to 7. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5, 6 and 7. And I read these words. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then I was forced to wonder, is God seeing today the same things that he saw many centuries back? Is the Lord sorry 
that he made man on the earth. And this man, that's you and me, was grieving God all the time. Do you know that, according to the Guardian newspaper, in statistics of 2017, 53% of adult citizens of the United Kingdom described themselves as having no religious affiliation. Now, just two years before that, in 2015, the figure was 48%. A 5% increase of agnosticism in just two years. That means a 5% increase of not having a religious affiliation or not believing in the existence of a religion. And this change of 5% was just in two years. Do you know that there is an annual statistical index compiled by Transparency International called the CPI or the Corruption Perception Index? There is no country in this world that is not on the list of nations with corrupt practices. Every single nation on this earth is recorded in that register as being corrupt. Yes, some are less corrupt, some are more corrupt, but all are corrupt. Do you know that? Of all of God's creation, only man kills other living creatures for fun, for pleasure, as a sport, or just because of evil thoughts in his mind. No animal kills for pleasure. Animals kill for food. But men enjoy killing other men and then leaving their dead bodies in the street to rot. And so, is it any surprise for us today to think that? Yes, God may be thinking that he is sorry that he has made man on earth. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 reads, Genesis 6, Genesis 6 verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in Genesis, Genesis 6 verse 12, we read, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. If we, for a moment, Forget that these words were written to describe the state of the earth in its early days. Wouldn't these words accurately describe our world today? To me, they do. And so I asked God, what should I do? What should we as a family do? What should we as a church do? What should we 
as a city do? God's answer was straightforward. Read my word and learn from it. And so over the next 40 minutes or so, we are going to look at some examples in the Bible of how people lived in lockdown situations and what are the lessons for us. The title of today's message is simply this. Lessons from a lockdown. Lessons from a lockdown. All of us are in a state of lockdown, one way or the other. Now, what is a lockdown? The Cambridge English Dictionary defines lockdown as a situation in which people are not allowed to enter or leave a building or an area freely because of an emergency. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines lockdown as a temporary condition imposed by governmental authorities as during the outbreak of an epidemic disease in which people are required to stay in their homes and refrain from or limit activities outside the home involving public contact, such as dining out or attending large gatherings. Wikipedia defines lockdown as a prison protocol that usually prevents people, information or cargo from leaving an area. It can also be used to protect people inside a facility from a threat or an outside event. So, as I said, all of us are in a lockdown one way or the other. And in this lockdown, some of us are impatient. Some of us are frightened. Some of us are worried. And some of us are finding it impossible to stay at home. We all understand there may be some logical political reasons for this lockdown. We all understand there may be medical reasons for this stay at home policy. And we all understand there may be societal reasons for this social distancing. But this afternoon, I want us to focus on a scriptural reason for our lockdown based on examples we have in the Bible and what are the lessons we can draw out of them. We will look at these lessons based on the following four themes. Number one, lessons for an individual person. Number two, lessons for a family. Number three, lessons for a church. And number four, lessons for a city. So, number one, lessons for an individual person. Shall we open our Bibles and read from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, moving on to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, 
and then we will end with verse 10. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And let's drop down to verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The story of Jonah and the big fish is a story known to most of us. Now, is there a lesson for us today from this story during this lockdown that we are all experiencing? The Bible tells us that one man, Jonah, was swallowed by a big fish or a whale in some versions, and he was in its belly for three days and three nights. What Jonah went through during this time was total solitary isolation. So you can imagine his lockdown situation. It was total, it was solitary, and it was an isolation. But remember this, it is God who decided how and where Jonah was to spend his lockdown. So to you and me today, if we are in a lockdown in a particular place, let's take it as children of God that we are where we should be because this is where God wants us to be at this point of time. But let's get back to Jonah. Can you imagine Jonah's situation? He was all by himself, alone, in a totally dark, flexible, mobile chamber. No one could have prepared Jonah for this. Unless he was a marine veterinarian, Jonah would have had no clue as to what the belly of a big fish would look like or feel like. The Bible does not tell us what Jonah did for three days and three nights. He might have been in total terror, assuming that he was dead. Or he might have been screaming and shouting as much as he could to draw someone's attention. I really don't know what he did for three days and three nights. I searched various commentaries to find out if there is any logical explanation as to what would have been taking place, but I could find none. And I certainly can't imagine the depths of fear he would have experienced at that time. 
But I want us to see something very interesting in verse 1 of chapter 2. The verse says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish belly. The verse starts with the word then. Now that is the important word. According to Renan Martin's textbook on English grammar, then is a conjunction. A conjunction is a word that connects or links to different sentences or thoughts or ideas. So for three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the big fish. And then he prayed. I don't know what he tried to do for three days and three nights. But then suddenly it dawned upon him that he needed to pray. There was no other way. He needed to pray. And that's what he did. He prayed. It was not a long prayer. Because if you continue reading, it's just eight verses long. It's a pretty short prayer for a person who was in a dark dungeon, not knowing where he was, not having a clue as to his situation. But if we backtrack a bit and look at verse 2, we can actually get a glimpse of Jonah's mind when he prayed. Because this is what Jonah prayed as we read verse 2. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. Number one. Jonah recognized his affliction. And what was his affliction? What was his problem? What was the cause of the state that he was in? It was disobedience. Jonah knew that he had disobeyed God. He knew that he was facing the consequences now of his disobedience. Number two, Jonah assumed that he was in Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word that is translated as the place of the dead. It is also called the graveyard. In Greek, it is referred to as Hades. Now, Jonah had come to the conclusion at that point of time that he was dead. But he was in the place of the dead. That means he had reached his end. There was no other place that he could go. There was no hope for him at that point. There was nothing else that he could do. But as you read his words, you will understand one thing. He still found hope. He still found an eternal truth that he recognized at that point. And I think we all need to recognize now. And at this point, this is point number three. Jonah recognized this eternal truth. And that is his only hope was God. He had disobeyed God. He might be buried in Sheol, but his one and only route to salvation and restoration was to turn to God. 
no person or nothing was going to save him. It was only God. And so he prayed. And as a result of that prayer, God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's verse 10. Interestingly, there are only two ways Jonah could have come out of the belly of a fish. And it was the grace of God that he was vomited out. It's also the grace of God that this huge fish, this big fish or this whale, which swims in the largest of oceans, chose to vomit him out onto dry land and not in the middle of the ocean. That is the grace of God. God is just a prayer away. So now that Jonah was out of the whale or the fish, he was onto dry land, he could see light. What did he do? He obeyed God. Jonah is now out of his lockdown situation. And the first thing he did was he said, okay, this is what God asked me to do. This is what I will do. I may not like it. I don't want to do what he, he asked me to do. I don't uh, appreciate the fact that he wants to save the Ninevites. But this is what God asked me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. God's will be done, not my will. That's what Jonah said. And so he marched into Nineveh and preached of the forthcoming destruction of the city. The people heeded his voice and they repented and they were saved. Now Jonah learned his lesson. His disobedience led to his lockdown. His prayer brought him restoration. His resultant obedience brought the word of God to the people of Nineveh and there was salvation to the people of the city. Now what about us? What is the lesson for us? We need to look back on our own lives. Have we really been obedient to the word of God? Have we done that? What God has wanted us to do? Is God really the one and only God we serve? Have we been chasing idols in all forms and sizes? Forsaking our creator God? And the next thing we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we seeking out the Lord in prayer? Have we asked him to save us out of the mess we find ourselves in? So many things we do lands us in a mess. We run helter-skelter. But do we turn to God? Is God our only hope? Is God the one sure hope that we have? Have we understood that? God is just a prayer away. And number three, the question we need to ask is this. Are we prepared to seek first the kingdom of God before trying to build our own little kingdoms? Are we prepared to say, Lord, let your will be done and not my will? So very often, it's all about my way, but not God's way. Older people think, 
that they are always right and young people are always wrong. Young people think they are always right and older people are always wrong. And middle-aged people think that the old and the young are wrong and they are right. But the fact of the matter is, neither the old, nor the young, nor the middle-aged, or anybody in between is really right. And our ways are not right. Only God's ways is right. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. And it's a very well-known verse. I'll just quote it. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Number two. So that's lessons for an individual person. The story of Jonah. Number two. Lessons for a family. Turn with me to Genesis chapter six, verses eight and nine. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Let's skip a few verses and move on to verses 13 and 14. Genesis 6, 13 and 14. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Let's also move on to read Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Let's drop down a few more verses and get to verses 13 to 16. Verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The story of Noah and his ark is also a story that is well known to most of us. And again, what are the lessons in it for us? The Bible tells us that Noah was a man who found grace in the sight of God. He was a just man perfect in his generation, and a man who walked with God. From 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we also know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was a man who lived in a terrible time amongst violent and unrighteous men and women, 
and yet he did not become like one of them. Not only that, he also ensured that his wife and his family walked right in the sight of God. When God had tasked him to build a huge ark in a land with little water and little rain, and in the midst of a mocking people, God chose to obey, sorry, Noah chose to obey God. Let me repeat that. Noah chose to obey God. Noah knew that his obedience to God was of paramount importance to him and his family. And that's what he did. It took Noah over a hundred years to build the ark. But while committedly performing this God-given task, he also preached the righteousness of God to the people around him. It didn't matter that they mocked him. It didn't matter that they made fun of him. It didn't matter that they derided him. No one knew that they needed to set their way right. Noah was known for his righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he was trying to get people to get back into a right way of living, to leave their riotous ways of living, to leave their ungodly ways of living and return to a right way of living. He continued doing that even while building the ark. And then one day, Noah found himself and his wife and his three sons and his three sons' wives locked within an ark with hundreds of animals and birds of all sizes and shapes. He and his family could not escape this lockdown. They were sealed in by the hand of God. It was God himself who decreed this lockdown on Noah and his family. The Bible does not record what he and his family did in the ark. Historians suggest that their period of lockdown was 364 or 365 days, one year. They had no one to talk to but themselves. They had to learn to live with each other. They had to learn to tolerate each other at all times. For after all, they were a family. Remember this. Their lockdown was a preservation lockdown. This family alone was preserved and protected while every other family that had then existed on earth and every other person was destroyed in the flood. But talking with each other and living with each other was not the only thing they did. Noah and his family had hundreds of different animals and birds to look after. It would have been a hard task to perform. It was a backbreaking job, but they obviously did it. While growing up as a teenager in my hometown, we had a couple of dogs and cats and half a dozen cats in our house. Believe me, 
I know what it is to take care and to feed dogs and cats. And I'm just talking about two dogs and five or six cats. Noah had hundreds of animal species that he had to take care of. Animals, creeping animals, birds, different styles. And then think about this also. When they sat down for lunch or dinner, what would their conversation have been? Remember, they had to go through this for a full one year. They couldn't go out. They couldn't go anywhere. They had to be there in the confines of that ark. And so when they sat down for lunch or for dinner, what would their conversation have been like? I'm sure they've had things to discuss. But amongst other things, I'm sure they would have talked about God and his ways. Noah would have taken time to explain the righteousness of God to his three sons and their wives. And so, what do we understand about Noah at this time? He was a man approved of God. He found grace in the eyes of God. He was just and perfect. He was a preacher committed to a God-given task. And he took care of all that he was entrusted to within the ark. The one-year lockdown did not frustrate him, nor did it turn him against God or away from God. After the rains had stopped and the flood had abated and the waters had started to recede, we read something of great value. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And then we'll go on to Genesis chapter 8, verses 14 to 20. Verse 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Let's move on. Verse 14 onwards. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took off every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Do you recognize that this was the first ever family altar built to worship God. 
It was built with an attitude of gratitude. It was an altar of thankfulness for life, for a new beginning. And it was in acknowledgement that God was indeed supreme and all men have to bow to him. Noah and his family appeared to have been on the right track before the lockdown, during the lockdown and after the lockdown. What about you and I today? Have we shared the word of God to those around us as we have been commanded to do? Are we really committed to doing God's work as it should be done? Are we living truly righteous lives, finding grace with God? Does our life reflect an attitude of gratitude for everything that God is to us? And for everything that God has done for us. That's lessons for a family. So we move on to number three, which is lessons for a church. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Acts chapter 1. Verses 9 to 14. Now, when he had spoken these things, that's Jesus Christ, while they watched, that's the apostles, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Let's move on to chapter 2 and read four verses, verses 1 to 4. Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you do the math, you will conclude that the apostles were in the upper room for 10 days. From the time of Jesus' ascension 
to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. While the Bible does not implicitly say so, many theologians have concluded that the apostles and the women with them were in isolation or in lockdown for 10 days in the upper room before they came out. Eleven apostles were present in the, in the upper room. And what were they doing there along with the women? The Bible tells us that they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. They had all heard the final command and promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They had received this word from the Lord and they were now waiting in that upper room. Some theologians and some historians think that they waited in the upper room because they were scared to come out. Others think that no, they were, they were starting to see the light. That everything that Jesus Christ, their master and savior had said during three and a half years was true. He was crucified as he said he would be. And he rose from the dead three days later as he said he would. And now they had just witnessed his ascension into heaven. But he had told them that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's where the power comes from. And they probably would have remembered a conversation they had when they said, No, Jesus, we don't want you to go. And Jesus said, I have to go. It's only when I go that the Holy Spirit can come down and can fill every one of you. Maybe they remembered all these things. And suddenly, after 10 days, these men and these women in that upper room were anointed with the Holy Spirit. And powerful anointed preaching of the word and healing of the sick took place after that. This was the beginning of the church. So what's the lesson for us in the church today? The church, which is you and me, must learn to be united in prayer. There is power in prayer. We need to understand that and we need to be united in that. We need to persevere in prayer. That's the way the church started. And that's the way the church has, was in its early days. And that's the way the church needs to be right now. The church, that is you and me, must be anointed by the Holy Spirit if we are to do great exploits for God. Trying to preach or do things in our own strength is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. 
Jesus Christ himself told us that it is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you shall have power. We shall have the boldness to preach. We shall have the authority to drive out demons. We shall have the authority to tell the sick to stand and be well. That is the authority given to the church. That is the authority given to you and to me. But we need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. A church which does not appreciate the workings of the Holy Spirit is dead. If you and I are to be the living church of Jesus Christ, it's got to have the move of the Holy Spirit in it, in the church all the time. Churches are now in a lockdown situation. This is our 10-day period of prayerful preparation for powerful anointing and an explosive manifestation of the real church of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a role for the church in the days to come? Not a church that is sleeping. Not a church that is interested in programs. But a church that is interested, that does only what God wants it to do. Remember, Christ is the head of the church. You and I are the body. And the head decrees where the body goes. Are we prepared for it? Are we ready for it? Are we looking forward to real revival within the church? And finally, number four, lessons for a city. So we have seen lessons for an individual person, lessons for a family, lessons for the church, and now lessons for a city. Turn with me back to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. In other words, the city of Jericho was in lockdown. The whole city was in lockdown. The children of Israel were outside. They were prevented from coming in into the city. The men and the women of Jericho were tightly shuttered in, not going out of the city. Now the question is, why were they like that? What made this lockdown happen? We need to go back a few chapters. So let's go to Joshua chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 to 4 and then we'll follow it up with verses 9 to 11. Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, 
Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Let's move down to verses 9, 10 and 11. And she, that is Rahab, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here was a city in a lockdown. And in this city, we see two opposite characteristics. Number one, fear. Number two, faith. The people of the city of Jericho were living in fear of the living God and his chosen people. They had heard news of the exploits of the men of Israel. And this put fear into the hearts and into the minds of the men and women of Jericho. And in their fear, they locked themselves within the walls of their city. They could have chosen to receive the children of the living God and to try to make peace with them. But they depended on the tall, thick walls of the city. They were living in a lockdown in total fear. And in the midst of these people was one woman and her family. The woman Rahab voiced statements of faith and that was counted in her favor. For we know the story. When the children of Israel destroyed the walls of Jericho, every single inhabitant in Jericho was killed except for Rahab and her family. What's the message? Fear killed the men and women of Jericho. Faith saved Rahab and her family. Today, are we living in fear or in faith? Fear leads to death and destruction. Faith leads to life and restoration. And as I look around, I know some of us are sick and in hospital. I know some of us have lost our jobs. I know some of us are facing huge financial losses. 
and I know some of us face very uncertain futures. But this is a test. Are you going to fear your circumstances or are you going to put your faith in the God who can and who will lift you up again? This is another storm in our life. It's not that we haven't faced storms in the past. We have of different kinds. Might not have been so universal, but we have faced storms in our lives. This is yet another storm in our life. But as the Bible teaches us, as long as we focus on Jesus Christ, we shall not sink. And we also always need to remember that Jesus is with us in every storm we pass through. We are never alone. We are never isolated. Because Jesus is always there with us. Let our lives and our families be built on the rock and not on the sand. Whatever storms may come, whatever rains may fall, whatever calamities may appear, yet we shall be strong because we are standing on the rock and our lives are built on the rock. We shall not waver, but shall be overcomers just as we are meant to be. And as I close, let us remind ourselves of what we need to do. Number one, let us first acknowledge that we have failed God in the past. We have been disobedient people, chasing our personal idols and not doing what God has asked us to do. Let us ask God to forgive us our failings. Number two, let us turn to God in prayer committing ourselves and our current situation into his hands. He alone is able to deliver us. No storm is greater than our God. No virus is bigger than our God. Number three, let us return to him with grateful hearts, thanking him for every blessing he has showered upon us and for all the blessings that are yet to follow. Let us thank him for the family altar that each of our families is establishing right now. Number four, let us sincerely commit to be active and committed servants in his kingdom. The time for seat warming is over. The time for half-hearted and lukewarm service is gone. Number five, let us ask God to anoint us with the Holy Spirit and let us allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in everything that we do. And number six, let us turn to the word of God, the Bible, our scriptures for the wisdom and knowledge we seek. The world has nothing to offer, but the word of God is our greatest resource for daily living. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this day. 
And Father, we thank you for preparing us for a time such as this. We thank you, Lord, for putting into your word the lives of men and women in isolation, in lockdown, and the lessons we have learned from their life and their responses. Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. Change us, mold us, and make us into the kind of people you want us to be. Father, I pray today that you will make us a people who will choose to put you first. Forgive us for the gods we have chased, forsaking you. And I pray we will never seek another God all the days of our lives. Father, I pray for the establishment of the family altar, an altar of gratitude and thankfulness, where as a family we can come into your presence, grateful for all that you are doing for us. Father, anoint each of us and make us fruitful servants in your kingdom. Let our service unto you be wholesome and committed. Take away any form of complacency and casualness we have. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.